0: Like wow, like that's a nice car, but oh my god, the entire back of it is like on fire, and there's like clearly no brakes.
1: <laughs> hey everybody, welcome to the Quiver Show. This is our audio journal about family, life, business, and the search for our best selves. We hope you enjoy.
2: Oh, is it time for Quiver? Hey
1: everyone, I'm Ash Crawford. In this episode, you will meet Kylie Feldman. I asked Kylie on the show because she seems to have it all figured out. No matter what she does, she seems to excel at it. She is the mother of two incredible small humans who are also my nieces and is one of the top executives in the field of business architecture. This was a wide-ranging conversation and I got a lot out of it and I really hope that you enjoy too. Hi, Kylie. Thank you for joining me.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
1: It's awesome to have you. Um, So I came up with this question a couple weeks ago. All right. It's a fun one to start with.
0: Okay, I'm ready.
1: Now, I know that you're married to my brother. Yeah. (laughs) You guys have been together for a long time. It's true. Um, But if you had to write an online dating profile right now, how would would you put...
0: (laughs) That's a great question. Wow. I think my headline would be something like... Completely unhinged woman (laughs) seeks calming but interesting partner. I guess partner. Because I don't know that I would assign necessarily. I mean, I know you said like a dating profile indicating like a romantic.
1: Yeah, this is is like.
0: Right. The thing is, it's hard for me to imagine because. If anything were to happen in my marriage, I would blow up like the whole county, I think. <laughs> and, and so <laughs> So like I don't know that there would be life after that. All right. I mean, there would be. It would be fine, but it wouldn't be great. Kay. So yeah, unhinged woman seeks like calming but interesting partner would be the would be the headline.
1: I love that. What's 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 the picture you imagine?
0: Like a, like a Porsche on fire, like <laughs> skidding down the street sideways, where you're like, wow, like that's a nice car, but oh my God, the entire back of it is like on fire, and there's like clearly no brakes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's amazing. And
0: if the person keeps reading, like, all right, g- great.
1: I, I love that. That is a... Uh... It's always fun to see how people answer that.
0: Like, I'm sure it's very telling.
1: <laughs> Wait,
0: you just got married. I did. If heaven forfend, you needed to ha- create a dating profile, what would your headline be? You
1: know, I don't. I don't think that I would. I would put an online dating profile. Like, I think that <laughs> I'm just like out on it. Like yes. I, I, I think that that is. I, that's sort of boycotting the question. Maybe no, but we'll, I'm with you. It's like, yeah. I think that I don't. know, But I keep I keep meeting people that are like, oh yeah, we did meet on Tinder or like it was I know. like it it happens a lot. So, um, I think it would be something about like I really love to travel, and yeah. so like finding commonalities is just like I drink a lot of coffee and
2: yeah, like
1: I'm at the age now where I'm like trying to weed out. All relationships in my life to people that are on a similar sort of self-development journey where they're like trying to work on themselves or are just like open to new ideas. So like phrasing it somewhere along those lines. Yeah. Just like it would probably just say I'm in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> message
0: yes.
1: message me if you've also been in therapy for three plus years
0: right and are think, still in therapy yeah and like, want to stay in therapy that's a great line
1: i think like one of just one of those like like a shit test that just like yeah you must be this high to yeah. to to get on the ride it's like
0: i think that's an awesome test
1: that's it you must be committed to self-work um some form of therapy forever yeah
0: yeah i i hope I mean, I hope we never have to encounter the whether to date again or not unless we get to, like, redate our partners, which I highly recommend. But I don't think I would want... I think I would be all done. (laughs) I just think I'd be all done. I'd be like, and I am unavailable to ever date again unless I'm going to date my husband in, like, version 4.0 of our marriage. Right. So, I mean, Esther Perel says you can have, like, four relationships, six relationships in your primary relationship. There's like the relationship you have when you're dating. There's the relationship you have when you're like newly married or newly committed. If you choose to have children, there's like that marriage. Then there's the marriage when the kids are older. Then there's the marriage when they move out or you lose parents or whatever. Like, And I like that idea of many relationships with your same partner. Mm. Like you can reinvent the agreement. You can reinvent... The relationship and I I just I think starting fresh with someone else just seems exhausting and I would probably not do
1: it <laughs> name something you're passionate about
0: I'm passionate about a lot of things and so uh, sometimes that's a little bit overwhelming f- for me um, you know I I think things that break my heart are like one side of the coin is it breaks my heart. The other side of the coin is that I'm like deeply passionate about it. So like on a macro level, like I'm deeply broken hearted about like the state of our earth, like our climate, the earth, deeply broken hearted about the way that like we treat children around the world, like food, potable water, that type of thing. Like tell me anything about like something fucked up happening to animals or kids and I'm like a disaster. Um, So I think the flip side of that is those are like areas of passion but also areas that are really scary and I have the privilege of being able to like ignore them. I think on a social level like I'm really passionate about anti-racism and really passionate about learning that and like learning what that is and how that's evolving and changing and that's deeply humbling and you know a wild circuitous like journey that I am you know early on and then I think professionally you know I'm really passionate about human beings at work and like what we spend so much time at work And work is often not really set up for human beings. It's like a weird thing. Um, And I'm really passionate about figuring out how do you unleash people's true selves and their superpowers in a professional environment? Like how do you get the things out of the way that stop somebody from being able to bring their most creative or most analytical or whatever their like superpower is, like how do we remove those barriers so they can come to work or log into work or whatever, do the amazing thing that they're super good at and then be done.
2: Mm.
0: So that was a long answer to a short question.
1: No, it was, it was good. <laughs> that's that's how it goes. And it really leads into like this this bigger idea that I've been – asking people about and really curious about is is what is the change you would like to see in the world? If, oh god. I mean there's so many I but know. like is there is there one across the the work environment that you that you participate in or is there one at a this can be as macro as we can look at it like
0: Yeah. I mean I think I think if I could wish one thing on the world or for the world, I think for human beings to be able to be like present from sort of a place of like true self, right? So when I think about the things in the world that break my heart, right, whether it's hunger, whether it's some sort of abuse, whether it's some sort of like climate catastrophe – One of the things I feel really confident about is that where human intervention has exasperated something or or accelerated something, like that that is not somebody's true self. Like the capitalistic machine that makes potable water unavailable in places where it should be, like that was not a human being's true self-driven decision. Like that was a fucking part. Or a or a series of greedy scarcity. I don't know what was at play, but like, I just don't. I don't believe that people are inherently bad. I think people are have access to an inherently like true present self that is like quote unquote good. And so when I think about God, like what, like what if every person on the planet was able to sort of like tap into whatever it's like their true intuition or their like higher self or like whatever the words are. Like, whoa, what would that do? What would that do? Because the way that I would interact with you if I was in a fully present state and you were in a fully present state all the time, which is really hard, But like that would change the way we drive. It would change the way I encounter you in the grocery store. It would change the way I spend money, what I donate to, how I treat the earth, how I live, how I eat. Like it would change it. I think it would change everything. Mm. And I think one of the things that like is so wild about the world is we're herd animals. Like we're (laughs) we are really herd animals and yet we're living in a way that's like can be so incredibly isolating where we don't want to know about the struggles of of the people around us maybe in our own community definitely not halfway around the world um, we're like overwhelmed and we're like i'm just gonna ignore that and i'm gonna keep living in a way that doesn't make anything better and in many ways is making things worse and i just don't think that people if they were really, like, sort of tapped into a sense of their selves or their higher selves, like, I just don't think people would keep doing that. Mm. So I guess that would be my wish, that, like, people could really, really tap in, have the have the luxury, the fortitude, and the nourishment needed to get to a place of, like, true self.
1: Have you seen anything that that works for... for- Getting to that place or working on, like, It's so hard, yeah, yeah, like how? So I I totally agree with you on that. And how do we how do we help that? Is that just by our like working on ourselves? Is that sort of all we can do? Because when it comes down to people's self alignment and what they're working on, it's not. I haven't found that it's really something that you can,
0: right?
1: You can teach or share it's
0: right you have to like model it and do it yeah i mean i think what's hard i haven't seen anything and i think what's hard when i think about like okay well i'm gonna live this way or i'm gonna try to live this way and model this and then help the people around me see this it doesn't feel like it's a it doesn't feel like it's enough action Mm. like i'm like well me living in a place of self as like an incredibly privileged white lady you know is not gonna help bring like food insecurity to an end in oh thank you in my like community right like I have to do more than just be like oh thoughts and prayers like no not thoughts and prayers so I don't really know I know that like modeling it and trying to live it is the is sort of the minimum and then I think trying to find the things that each of us can do that aligns with that that are action-oriented like so for me You know, thinking about food scarcity or food insecurity in the local community is something that feels very aligned to like my true self or, you know, where I want my kids to go to school or how I want my interactions to be in my family environment. Like those are things that have an action step to them where I choose to like donate money. But I don't know. I mean, it's a, that's a, no, I don't know.
2: It's
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fuck, I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's it's inter- it's just it's something I've been been thinking about like how do we make make positive changes in the world and yeah. it's like yeah. All how- all of the things that you you have control over your the way you interact with other people and Totally. And that comes from working on yourself I, I believe and yeah.
0: It's, it's hard it's, too it's because hard. I think like There's a part of me that's like, it's too far gone. Like we're too far gone, hunker down, like the doomsday preppers are onto something. Right. But that is so inherently selfish. Like, oh, as long as like my family and me are okay. Like as long as I got me, you know, it's like, no, that's stupid. Not that I'm saying doomsday preppers are stupid. I'm just saying like, I think it's, I think it's, I'm looking to strike the balance between what is like good for me lets me do more for the world, right? Like oxygen mask on me then means I can go out and be more uh, be of more use. Sometimes I think it's too late. Mm. But that I think is is a is a selfish and like inherently privileged thing to say cuz most people don't have the option to say it's too late I'm opting out. Just right. gonna hunker down. I can say it.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: On that let's, late let's, note, <laughs> yeah, let's switch gears just a little bit. Ooh. I, <laughs> um.
1: What do you do to unwind? Or guilty pleasure of yours?
0: Oh, there are many. Um, I drink a lot. Alcohol, mostly. <laughs> Coffee. <laughs> um occasionally water um I have a couple guilty pleasures I love watching really trashy like reality that's not reality tv but I have some specific things I don't like to watch it on a big screen I like to watch it on my phone yeah and I like to carry it around with me as I'm doing things like laundry or dishes or like getting ready for the day like putting on makeup or whatever um so I love I love that I also um really enjoy painting my nails and I'm really quite good at it um and yeah I those those things I, I got really I'm really into like skin care now. Like I have a whole morning and evening skin care thing that I didn't ever used to have, but now it's fun. So stuff like that. Mostly things I can do by myself.
1: <laughs> that, that's awesome.
0: My guilty pleasure is being alone.
1: <laughs> well, it's, I just had this an idea that's too late. I was like, I've been thinking about painting my nails yes and I was like that could have been such a fun thing to do like you could have been painting my nails yes we
0: we yes, <laughs> during we could the conversation do, I could yeah and I could have you would have had to come to the house because I have a whole like nail polish array that you would like pick your color or you could pick a design
1: You've got the whole I've got
0: the whole thing. All right. Yeah, you could we the next time. Yeah. We'll do that.
1: I'm in for that. I think that, that would, that would be, be a great
0: Yeah, that'd be a great little you could we could do like a five minute promo that you could like chop that up and put that out on the interweb. Yeah. I think people want to see it.
1: I think I I mean I wanna see it. This it was for me. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna call you on that. All
0: for right. Such. I would love to. That would be so much fun. You're
1: gonna get like quiver blue.
0: Yeah. Just... I have it.
1: Yeah. I've all the colors. I have all the colors of <laughs> the rainbow. That's awesome. Um, all right, um, I guess let's let's talk a little bit about what you do in your professional life. <laughs> how do you how do you like to describe what you do?
0: Well, I don't like to describe what I do because I'm not good at it. my My title or my discipline is called business architecture. My my that's my discipline. My title my title at work is head of business architecture and continuous improvement. Continuous improvement also sometimes called process architecture, but think like lean, toyota way, shingo, like very much about human beings in process to deliver value. Business architecture is uh, is hard to articulate. It's primarily described as the translation or distiller of strategy into what can be executed on. In the last couple of years, though, what I've noticed is that the way I spend my time with that title is listening to lots of different voices within an organization and figuring out... the. My brain does a thing where basically I can take all the disparate pieces, put them together into like one very simple picture. And in the transparency of that simple picture, the misalignments are very clear in an objective way. So it's not shaming or, you know, it's not blamey. And then the leaders and decision makers and people who are, you know, have jurisdiction over those areas can like put those things back into alignment. And, you know, I joke like that I'm a business alchemist or like, because I don't know actually that what I'm doing anymore is technically business architecture. I mean, that's a field that's evolving very rapidly and a tool set that's evolving very rapidly. And sometimes I evolve it and sometimes someone else evolves it. But, you know, as a practitioner, there are moments when I'm like, I have come so far from like, I'm so far afield from like the core foundation of this methodology or this discipline, like God, am I even still connected to it or am I like off way out in left field? And, you know, it's a it's a it's a question like that I think about a lot. So, yeah, I'm a business architect technically and by trade, (laughs) I guess. And I'm and I'm yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I should be able to answer that more succinctly.
1: How would your husband describe (laughs) your job and what you do?
0: I mean, he tried to give me this answer as like prep for the interview. He was like, don't say. And then he gave me like a whole list of things not to say, which is all I can think about right now. Like what he told me not to say. Um, I think he would say, yeah, that I like find that I can, that I, that I find like the, the red thread or the pattern in the chaos, like in the parts that are disparate and in the dissonance and the whatever that like I can very quickly make sense of, of all of the pieces and create something holistic. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know. It, this has become like a little bit of a crisis because I I can't really describe it I don't well, think that's good Ooh. well
1: you um, I know very little about what you do but I know that you're <laughs> you're part of a team and yep. you ha- you have people that you you work with yeah. and you'd mentioned before a big or something that you're passionate about is unlocking people's like core skill or letting them run run. In the way that they they're best at, yeah. And so, um, how do you how do you navigate that? The different people in your team and the the different skill sets and personalities, and um, yeah, is that that's something that's a big part of the yeah, job? It's is, yeah, it's huge.
0: I mean, I think that most of my interactions. So I work in a very in a very large, complicated, and hierarchical organization, and so for me. When I am talking to leaders, meaning people who are like on the executive leadership team or the senior leadership team, like what I'm trying to understand from them is what are they worried about? What are they and what are they really good at? And if I can kind of figure that out and then understand what their vision is and where the gaps in their vision are, because very few people have a complete vision. And I think that's one of those like taboo business things it's like you're supposed to show up as a leader with like a complete vision a complete strategy a complete execution plan you're supposed to like know it all and no one does and mm-hmm. when they do those like ceo surveys and 85 percent of ceos say like my number one fear is getting found out as a fraud mm-hmm. like that in my experience has absolutely been the case that like the higher in the organization the leader is usually the more insecure they are about like holy shit who gave me this job am i qualified i don't know what to do and the best leaders admit that and then try to surround themselves with like a really high performing team and work really collaboratively and and the worst leaders you know, take a sort of command and control style, which actually further isolates them. And they're lonelier and lonelier and lonelier, no sounding board, no trusted partners. And then they isolate and the organization spins further and further away from them. Right. So their fear essentially comes true, which is now you're at the top of the organization. You don't know what the fuck's going on because no one's telling you anything because you're so isolated and disconnected Because you were afraid that people would find out that you were a fraud. But if you say like, oh my God, I need help and I need a leadership team that's going to help me, now you can actually start to really make amazing strides. So like really good leaders will say things like, hey, I like to be the stupidest person in the room. I want everybody who works for me to be smarter than I am, right? Like we've all heard that. Or... Um, I'm an expert at finding experts like one of my favorite bosses was like I am a generalist but I am so good at finding people who have a superpower and hiring them and getting them to do their superpower so for me at work like if I can understand where a leader is cognizant of their gaps then my job is to sort of take away or relieve them of the things that are distracting. So let's say you're a real visionary leader and you're like, I see the mountaintop. I know what it looks like. I know how it feels up there. I'm not really sure how to get there. Mm -hmm. Don't have that leader be in charge of executing the journey from point A to point B. Like that's a terrible idea. That's not their strong suit. So then what I'm trying to do is Sort of help make a plan that can then be disseminated to their team of experts and then empower those people like, hey, here's the plan. Who has questions about the plan? Who needs to collaborate? Who needs to have their two cents? Who needs, who has a great idea about how we get there? And then can we create the psychological safety and obviously the metrics and sort of the business things that you need? to let these people go and do the thing they want to do. And for my team, you know, mostly what I'm doing is like coaching from the sidelines. Like, you know, hey, you can't care more than this business leader cares about these outcomes. You have to meter out like how much you're going to give this from like an emotional investment perspective. Or, hey, like, you the way you're approaching this leader or the way you're approaching this team it's not working like something about your tone or something about your vibe is like making them uncomfortable or skittish or whatever so like you got to call the elephants out like mm-hmm. do they think you're there to figure out what they do and replace them with like ai are they worried that you're going to take the information they have and send it over like what do you what what's the fear that you're triggering mm-hmm. And can you, as a person who's supposed to be there to help, have the humility to say, I'm, I'm here to help. It's not really working. Right. Like, let me try a different approach. So I think that's the part I love most about my work is figuring out where people are passionate and figuring out what they're good at. And then saying like, okay, with the puzzle pieces we have, how can we align people most to their superpowers or most to their skill sets? and then let it and then let it play? Mm-hmm. get out of the way. Like if I've done my job well, people have no idea I was there. And when people at work, if you ask them, like, "What does Kylie do?" they're like, "Ah, uh, I don't know. just sort of... I just, you know, I call her, I call the team when I like meet when something's not quite right or, you know, sometimes they call me when something's on fire, but more times now they call me and sort of are like, ah, it's just not, doesn't feel right, something's not right. And we sort of come in and then quietly fade into the background as they you know, are off. Mm-hmm. And that's probably not great for my branding. Like I should probably be like, brought to you by business architecture so that they could be like, oh, what she does is business architecture. But since I can't describe it, they can't describe it <laughs> either, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> no, that makes, that all makes total sense. And it's, it's cool because it's very different than than my experience in the business world. I work with very small teams yeah, and um, in, so it's just it's interesting to hear about that 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 journey and, and that that way of of working and it's it's really cool. I'm curious a, about it.
0: It's a fun gig, and I think you know, like people say, like, what, how do I know if I need a business architect? And it's like, well, if you are a leader of any size company, and you're like, I have been pouring resources into my vision or into these outcomes, and I'm not getting them, and I don't know why like that's when you call a business architect like what what is the what's the blueprint of our business why is it what doesn't feel right and it's you can take it from an interior design perspective hey something doesn't feel right about the business something's overly clunky and hard like we don't have the plugs where we need them metaphorically we don't have the plumbing metaphorically where we need it like That's a great reason to call a business architect. Also, like in small startup environments, you can use business architecture to kind of get you started and ready to scale. And then it's just part of your DNA. You don't need a business architect on staff.
2: Right.
0: Big companies usually need a business architect on staff because they have people producing really beautiful strategies. I mean, there are amazing slide decks I have seen that are stunning to look at nobody knows what that strategy means they 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 don't know what that means to them when they go back to their desk or back to their work day they don't know how that strategy should inform the calendar of meetings what meetings to accept what meetings not to expect they don't know how the strategy should inform trade-off decisions mm-hmm. and so we have this gap often in corporate um america for sure it seems um where we think the strategy looking good on a PowerPoint slide is enough. And people want to add value at work.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So you so allowing them, enabling people to take part in the vision and the strategy and really deliver that, that's the work of business architecture. Translating that so people can bring their most valuable contributions contribute to that overall strategy, understand their role in making that strategy a reality, can be informed on their day-to-day decisions and trade-offs, like throw the cup in the trash, throw the cup in the recycling, right? Like take this meeting, decline this meeting, focus on this, let this thing wait, right? Like that's what a powerful strategy needs to be able to inform Mm -hmm. people about. And they almost never do. Right. That was a good, that, we, that that's was, a good clip. That's a good. <laughs> Matt. Matt. <laughs> Matt.
1: Yeah. That was, no, that's awesome. Um, all right. We've got a couple couple more here. Okay. Probably.
0: What yeah. do you think I do? <laughs> I mean, I just answered. But like, if someone's like, what does Kylie do? I'm sure nobody ever asked you that because people think, I think people think that I'm a stay at home.
1: I think I probably would have described it pretty close to what you what you said. All right. Um what when I think of what you do and and having known you for the past No, how eight, long have we known? Eight, you? 18, years, 18 years. Um the word that comes to mind is is linchpin.
0: Mm, thanks.
1: It it's just that there's there is different sections of of any organization or idea or something that people a group of people working together towards something there's the different parts there's labor and there's executive and there's the the linchpin that that keeps it all together and keeps everybody on track like having their work valued as well as being everyone on the same page and just like without that linchpin, right, the whole thing falls apart. Right. And it's it's sometimes it's hard to describe what the linchpin does. Sometimes it's really easy. It's right. like like there's I mean there's so many roles in in lots of different jobs that someday you clean toilets in a cafe, sometimes you make lattes. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: And so yeah. it's like there's this a linchpin. And yeah. So that's that's how I would have described you.
0: That's good. Seth Godin, is Seth Godin listening.
1: I yeah. He read
0: I the book. Linchpin. He did. Very good book. Haven't read it in a while. Actually, I should see if it stands the test of time.
1: I've really enjoyed his writing over the years. I think it's. Me too. It's. It resonates with how I like to to learn and digest information. I yeah. think that um, I admire his conviction in his. His beliefs—it's like he's very self-assured in his opinions. Yeah, and I don't agree with all of them, but like it's—it's fun to listen to somebody with with that much conviction or a complete. He is able to articulate completely an idea in a way that I really admire.
0: Yeah, I'm jealous sometimes of his conviction because I think it probably feels really good to be that like if he feels that convicted and confident in his like frameworks and in his belief like that would probably be really reassuring like I bet he sleeps really well at night
1: right it's like that old saying. it's like when you're asking a question or there's something up for debate either way you want a fantastic yes or an outstanding no right (laughs) and it's the gray area that causes anxiety or stress or everything it's like and i feel like he gets to the fantastic yes or outstanding no pretty quickly quickly. right and so then there's no time it's like yes i'm doing this thing or no right i'm not right (laughs) it's like but that's sort of what you talked on with setting up the systems or empowering people or or knowledge sharing in a way that you can filter and prioritize actions in in your work and be able to be like oh Yes, we're doing this meeting. Right. No, we don't do this right now. Right. And we all understand why we say yes or no.
0: Right. Well, and I think that happens in any work. You you are an entrepreneur. You're a founder. You have to set up your day every day. And one of the worst feelings is, am I focused on the right things? What do I not know? What's about to go bump in the night? mm And I think that's also one of the things that's very lonely about being a founder and an entrepreneur is you don't often have a team to tell you, hey, I think your number one today should be blah. When do you take the day off? When do you not take the day off? And having to constantly self-motivate and be the person who is holding the vision and then being able to distill the vision down to I actually have to scrub toilets today or do damage control or hop you know, into the dumpster, to whatever it is, like having to make a million of those decisions before your feet have really even hit the floor in the morning is a tremendous amount of energy. Mm. And so in a big corporate organization, so many of the systems are in place seemingly to cut down on the decision-making, which is great. If what's being cut down on is is in service to a strategy or a vision that makes sense. But if you're just trying to cut down the decision fatigue as a way to like control the population, now what you have is like a very empty organization full of bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. And people are like, I don't know. I hit the green button. I fill out the form. I, you know, I pass the widget to my left. I am daydreaming. I am not bringing myself to work i'm Mm -hmm. not bringing my greatest brain power to work i'm i just gotta get out of here And that's why people i think are pissed about stuff like return to office and whatever it's like what is the vision or what's the strategy of having people back in the office like what's the problem we're trying to solve by that Mm -hmm. and ceos are doing a terrible job they're saying things like collaboration what does that mean What does that mean? What does that look like? What does good collaboration look like and not good collaboration look like? And what is that, how does that get us to a vision or a strategy or whatever? I think when people cannot see what's most important, it's really frustrating. Mm. And so whether you're a founder, whether you're a CEO, whether you're a leader of a small team, whether you're an individual contributor, it's like you just wanna know that what you're doing is valuable and important and is, and is headed in the right ultimate direction. Mm-hmm. And whether that's where you shuffle in for your day of work or when you log on to start or when you log off, like those, I think those questions, like people just want to feel like they are doing something valuable and meaningful no matter what.
2: Yeah.
0: I don't even know where that question started. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what are you currently grateful for?
0: Oh, gosh, I'm grateful for everything. Um, I am incredibly grateful for the health and wellness of me, myself, and my family. Um, We have an abundance of so many things, which I am so grateful for. Um, I'm grateful at the challenges I don't face every day around you know, feeding myself, feeding my family, housing, clothing, all of those things are just not, those are not battles that I have to fight. I'm so grateful for that. Um, I'm grateful to live in a part of the world that is um, really, I mean, affluent, but, but mostly affluent in natural resources like we can grow a lot of food around here. There's rainwater. There's four seasons. I'm really grateful for that. Um, you know, I'm grateful to be at a place in my life where I have the luxury of questioning what I do and how I spend my time. I'm not digging a trench every day, and uh, with no with no options, no choices about that. Um, I have a lot of freedom and a lot of spaciousness to sort of carve my own path which is amazing um and I am surrounded by like the people that I love most like chosen family and a community um not necessarily a community that's in my same physical space but my community of friends far afield you know I feel really held by that community even though most of those (laughs) relationships happen over text um you know i'm i'm grateful for everything i mean i'm i'm so incredibly blessed and so incredibly lucky and i've worked really hard and those three things coming together have given me like an amazing life and my biggest challenge is like enjoying it and slowing down and and letting it be as amazing as it is and not scared of losing it and not scared of oh my god it's too good to be true I don't deserve it. To, I don't deserve to have it be this good. Mm. But uh, yeah, I'm incredibly lucky and privileged and grateful for everything. Even the stuff that sucks.
1: How do you remind yourself to be grateful?
0: Um, From
1: my own experience, it's it's tricky to... I would love to live in this perpetual gratitudinal state. Um, yeah. Is there anything that you do to that, that triggers triggers that that gratitude for you
0: a couple of things um makuna and i used to play this game called the grateful game which we would do at night when we were really anxious where we would take turns saying what we were grateful for until we were so exhausted we would fall asleep so it would be like you know i'm grateful for fresh water i'm great you know and we go and go and go and go um, I play that game sometimes with Zoe and Arden when we're all particularly grumpy is a great time to play that game. I try to do that at night and in the morning, just in my own head. And then one of the things that Makunda was reminding me about the other day was word choice. Like, instead of saying I have to go to work, what if I said I get to go to work? I want to go to work. "I," and And so words like should and have to and like is there a way to change just some of my languaging around that to help me be a little bit more in touch with the with the gratitude and then I have a thing I do which is probably not healthy and I don't really recommend it but I sort of think about what could have been right so I think about like imagine if I didn't have a driver's license Imagine if I didn't have a house. Like, imagine if I was unhomed. Imagine if I didn't have any clothes because couldn't afford them, whatever, if everything burned in a fire. Imagine not being able to feed myself or my kids. And that is deeply saddening. And I don't think it's necessarily a great way to go. Mm. But it does offer an amount of context and perspective, and one of the things that happens to me when I get spun out is I I will fixate on something that doesn't go well, you know, at work or an interaction with a friend or something. And I will lose sight of all the good that's happening and think like, oh, my God, this is so terrible. And so sometimes playing that really forceful game of like, imagine if I, yeah, didn't have food, didn't have water, sometimes that
1: helps quickly gets to the recognition that you do and how grateful we are for yeah
0: yeah I mean it's the world is a heartbreaking and amazingly beautiful and compelling place and life is that way too Mm -hmm. and witnessing your own life and witnessing the live lives of the people around you with some hopefully a lovingly witnessing, you know, I think that that's the real work of being a human. And it's not easy. I mean, letting people suffer or witnessing their suffering and holding space for that and then obviously taking some amount of action, you know, depending on the situation, like that's, I don't know, that's a, that's, ho- that's hard for me. Yeah that's a, that's always a challenge. But I think in the witnessing comes the spaciousness to be present comes the spaciousness to be grateful. And one of the things that's, there's this really interesting um, study. I think it's like a 12, it's probably 12 or 15 years old now, but basically this woman, I think she was like in the Netherlands, a scientist in the Netherlands, she started mapping the brain compassion versus empathy. So like my whole life I was sort of trained to be empathetic Right. And the idea that, you know, someone tells you a sad story and you cry as they tell you or, you know, someone tells you you they've lost a love and you're like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Um, And basically the mapping in the brain for empathy is hitting centers of the brain where pain is received. And so what actually empathy seems to do is. You center yourself in that other person's story. So what if my dad died? What if I was dumped? Whatever the thing is? and and actually, you are not holding that other person's worldview. You're actually centering yourself emotionally and like crying as if it were you, which not that helpful. Mm. Compassion on the other hand, seems to go through the same centers of the brain where things like love and joy and connection light up. And the idea with compassion, as I understand and I'm like butchering this woman's study, I'm sure, is that basically like in compassion, I am listening to you with like love in my heart for you as a human being. And I'm actually fully present and I'm not thinking about myself. I'm just listening to you and tracking what you're saying and and sort of the output is this sort of loving presence. And I am fascinated by that because most of my life I thought that empathy was a superpower of mine. Like I could read a room and I could figure out what somebody needed and I was really good at that. And I was reading, you know, somebody, my therapist actually told me about this study and I was like starting to read about it. And then she asked this question. She said, what do you think has to happen to a kid to make them think they need to be constantly tracking the emotions in a room? And I was like, oh, fuck, that is dark. I actually thought this was a good thing that I was constantly, like, trolling and, and and you know, like, testing and feeling for how do the adults in my life feel or the kids in my life. Like, oh, my God. That's actually really fucked up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, holy shit. Empathy, not as great as I thought. Mm. a learned response an exhausting learned response
1: right and as i i would imagine that learning compassion as a child I don't maybe that's a difficult thing that seems like if i'm gonna consciously hold space for another human yeah maybe that's an a ad- a job for an adult. Like if you're a, if you're a kid, right. that that's not necessarily your your job or or one of your mOs just yet. Right. So if like the default. Right. If they're very similar, it's like you can see how like I know I wasn't compassionate as a small human. Me either. Right. But like yeah. I I can recognize in myself times where I did similar things to you and so su- surveying a room and gauging where people at when like oh yeah. we're we're sad right now. We're angry. Like I, yeah. Like I can live in this with you because I'm, I'm mirroring. Yeah. Doesn't seem like that's super helpful.
0: No. Well, <laughs> and the thing is, I think we get rewarded for it, right? Because like you can read a room, and you're like, this person needs a snack. This person needs wine. What can I get this person? Right. Like, so you're amazing at every party, and people want you around because you can mirror what they need or you can be a chameleon for what the room is you know when to show up as like funny humble serious academic like you know how to do that and so I think we probably have been rewarded over and over and over right because people want to have us around or like you're you know it's so so great whatever and So I feel like I got trained and then it got reinforced and reinforced and reinforced. Like, oh, this is how people want me to be. Mm. This is how I will have friends and be included. And I didn't really realize that it was exhausting, number one. And number two, that like I was not really present in that. Like the person that's running around the room getting everybody a drink or saying the right thing – is not really me
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that the person who is compassionate and it doesn't mean being not responsive, but it just means like just slowing down, I think, and not centering like, well, what does this person's emotions mean to me? Like it's none of my business what it means to me. Like that that's these, this person's emotions.
2: Mm.
0: And I think with kids what's really interesting is like with Zoe and Arden, like, you know, not fixing – their emotions when they're high or low has been a living practice, right? To say like, wow, I see you and I have compassion that you're struggling or whatever. I'm actually not going to intervene and I'm not going to ask you to intervene on yourself and like, come on, be happy or like, you know, you're okay or whatever the thing is. Like I think that's how you – inadvertently teach kids to be empaths and not necessarily compassionate, like, witnesses. Mm. I don't know. We're, I mean, we're trying to figure it out as fast as we can <laughs> before yeah. those kids move out. <laughs>
1: <sighs> uh, sometimes I like to bucket areas of life into four areas, right? Okay. So if we, if we think of work, family, family, Your relationships and yourself. Okay. As the four major areas that we can work,
0: family, yourself, and relationships. Yeah. Okay.
1: How do you prioritize or balance those in your life so you're not working a hundred hours a week, which in your field of work you've got demands almost all around the clock. Yeah. Or spend all of the time with your family and not working. Like, how do you find that balance between those four areas?
0: Mm. Well, I've never found the balance. Um. (laughs) So let me know if anyone comes on the podcast and says that they did, because I would like to know how. I mean, I think it's a juggle, right? So there are times in my day where I am primarily a parent, and sometimes that happens when I'm at work. There are times when I am primarily an employee and sometimes that happens when I'm at home or on a date or whatever. Um, Someone said to me, uh, like a really kick-ass female leader said to me one time, you know, you can have it all, but not at the same time. And I was like, fuck. I really, they really told me I could have it all. And she's like, mm, they didn't finish the sentence. <laughs> so, and I've heard also like funny sayings, to, not funny sayings, but like if you picture your life as those are four burners, you have to turn off two. You have to give up two. You only get two. Hmm. So I often turn off my relationships. So when I had young kids in particular, so many of my friendships You know, I wasn't investing. It was like I invested before I had kids. I'm in a little bit of a I'm just taking withdrawals. Some of those relationships, I think, survived and thrived. Some of them sort of petered out, you know. Um, I think there were times when I turned off my work burner and I was really focused on work and family, inclusive of like my primary relationship, my, you know, my marriage, um, and even before I was married, like okay, this is my person. Um, and I think I, I think I did something that a lot of I think women do, which is when I had kids, I really turned off the burner on my relationship with myself. I was just sort of like, I am in survival mode. I'm gonna keep these kids alive. I'm gonna keep this job, um, and everybody else has to wait. And that's a that. That, that was true for a time. I think the thing that I didn't do in my juggling act was it t- it's taken me a while to realize when those needs have changed. So, for example, like my children can wake up and make their own breakfast. It took me a while to figure that out. Like that, the routine I had in the morning for caring for a one and a three-year-old could look different for a 5 and a 7 year old. And it sounds really stupid like how do you but you you go into this automatic kind of pilot thing. And so I just have never been able to find the balance. I've always just juggled and toggled the burners and been like, "Oh shit, the like this has gone icy cold. Like I better call that friend. I better you know, whatever. I better make time for therapy. I better make time to go to the gym. I better make time to close the door, watch terrible shows and paint my nails while also maybe half listening to a Zoom call because like I've over indexed in one area. Mm. And, you know, I say that as like an incredibly privileged white woman. Like I look at my colleagues of color, like particularly women of color and and that idea of like being able to focus on themselves is like not even a fucking option. It's like, nope, because I am working triply hard at work to get 60% of that pay and I'm working triply hard at home, I think mean, triply is a word, but like I'm working three times as hard at home to create a family, community, you know, keep those home fires burning and you know the 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 relationships that are beyond the things that sustain the family or make it possible for me to go to work are just like out of the question. And like a gym and self care, I hope that like I I don't think that that means more than I maybe get to sleep. And one of the things I think that we do typically as like women and particularly white women is. Think a lot about ourselves and like what does my self-care look like, and what do I need and what are these things? And then put it put sort of this interesting lens and sort of this culture out there of like, okay, well, to be like a healthy, functioning woman, you should be like working full time at a great office job and working out and looking really great and have like two point five kids and have all these social relationships. And I think, painting that as a picture of like the ultimate success is such a shitty it's like such a shitty thing to do because I I don't think it's attainable and I think it really disadvantages in a completely you know fucked up way like what we are telling society is is the picture or the goal it's not attainable it's not attainable at all so like why can't we change why don't we change that like why don't we have the courage to change that so that's something i've been thinking a lot about is like what is the white supremacy in ideal lifestyle because there's a lot of it and i didn't know Mm. i didn't know i was like oh yeah like i'm like you know for all women no i wasn't so again long answer to a short question no it's great (laughs) It's,
1: it's great um what advice would you give to eighteen year old Kylie oh, entering the workforce professional oh my God. world?
0: I think, you know, like slow your roll. Slow your roll. Um I at eighteen I'm just trying to remember like what I was doing at eighteen. <laughs> actually slow your roll maybe isn't good advice because I think at 18 I actually was pretty balanced like I was working because I wanted I had moved out and I was in college and I had like fun relatively well paying jobs like I sort of always figured that piece of it out um
1: so let's say entering the the professional world oh, yeah. a little later on when you sort of yeah. started your professional career that you're a part uh, of now. Is there uh, any? Uh,
0: yeah, I wish I would say like set your own work culture boundaries. And what I mean by that is like when you start a new job because I'm an empath and trying to unlearn that, Like, I was always checking, like, what time do people arrive? What time do people leave? Like, what's the deal with lunch and breaks? And I was always watching what other people were doing, but not checking in with myself to be like, well, wait, what do I need? Like, I am better in the morning. I would rather start my workday early and leave early. I'm more productive earlier in the day. But I often worked in cultures where it was like, no, we work like the cool kids get in by eight and they stay till six. I'm fucking useless after three. <laughs> like I'm not doing anything productive. I'm like wasting time. Writing an email takes me 45 minutes. You know, like it's stupid. I should be getting up at three, leaving for the day, going to get my kid, whatever. So I wish I had... And I would tell myself now like figure out what works and then just claim it and let people tell you, hey, that doesn't work for our for our office or our company or what we need. And to this day, when I think about like switching jobs or if I were to go to a different company, like I have this like palpable fear of like, well, what if their culture is weird about like you're supposed to answer emails while you're on vacation. Or like, what if they think I should be answering Slack messages at nine at night? And then there's like the grown up part of me that's like, who gives a fuck? Like, you don't have to assimilate to that culture in order to be successful. Like, you're there to do a job and add value. And in the interview process, be interviewing them about like, if they think that productivity and value contribution is dictated by how often your Slack thing is green, like, you probably don't want to work there or work for that leader. Mm. And I wish, and I'm still trying to learn that, like, to this day as a grown-up, that, like, I'm allowed to dictate that for myself and hold that boundary and be like, yeah, this is, this is how I work. And... Like, yeah, like, stop me if that doesn't work for this company or this doesn't work for my boss or whatever. And it's still hard. Mm. But I wish I had done that and practiced that from the beginning. And I sort of think Gen Z is doing that. I don't know. I watch a lot of TikTok now. (laughs) (laughs) And it seems like the generation that's, like, just graduating college or going into college is very, like, Yeah, I'm going to live in an apartment with like 12 other people because I don't want to work more than 12 hours a week because that's what works for me. And I applaud it. Like, good for you. Yeah. That's not how I have approached my work. But like, if that is what meets your needs and like aligns with your values, like that's amazing. Meanwhile, I'm like, I have to log in (laughs) and make sure my Slack is green and answer these emails. It's stupid.
1: It's Uh, dumb. How and why are you optimistic about the future?
0: Oh, God. I'm not. No, just kidding. (laughs) I am optimistic about the future because I have to be. Because when I decided to have children, that was the equivalent of me putting all of my chips in on the world. Before I had kids leaning out and being like, yeah, like that felt possible. But I think having children and I'm not a proponent of everyone having children. And I, you know, I think being child free is amazing and um, a great way to be in the world. Uh, For me personally, having children was saying like i am all in on the world i believe that the world can be a big beautiful wonderful place ultimately and that my children and hopefully everybody else's children that like we're gonna love them and care for them in such a way that they will be empowered and enabled to make the world better And so there's like that cheesy song, like I believe the children are our future. And in some ways, that's a cop out, right? Like you can't hand somebody an absolute screaming shit show dumpster fire and say, you've got this, you can fix it, Um, which is kind of what the world is right now in many aspects. But I do think that you can empower and enable the people around you, the young people around you and alongside doing your own work to make the world a better place. So for me, I'm optimistic because because I have to be, because I, I opted fully in, like all my chips are in. So sheer force is why I'm optimistic. <laughs> I don't have a choice.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so you know me pretty well. Yeah. You know where I'm at in life, in my my work life, Sort of obliquely, and my personal life. What book should I read next?
0: Your own journal. Whoa. Oh. Probably.
1: Read it back. Yeah. Uh, interesting.
0: Yeah, like any any ones that you can find. All right. I would go back and read them.
1: Cool. I'm. <laughs> I love that. Yeah.
0: I think I you. I think, you know, I. I love your, like, you are so curious. It's like one of my favorite things about you is that, like, you're so deeply and genuinely curious. And my dad is this way too. Like, you can talk to anyone, you can strike up a conversation with anyone. I don't think it's always a part. I think, I think you have, I think you, in of yourself, are genuinely curious about other people and like how things work. I think that you are probably able to gather endlessly and seek information endlessly. And there is a beautiful thing I think that can happen for deeply curious people when they pause or like sort of take a step back from intaking information, which is like a reconciliation and like a collating of that information. Like, okay, so I gathered, 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 like what does this mean to me? And like what speaks... Out to me or calls out to me and I think you know getting married and being in your 30s and being a founder and being you know asking yourself these deep questions and asking other people like the questions that we've talked about today like those are great questions to ask other people and they're great questions to ask yourself and I think an amount of spaciousness to just reflect on everything you've taken in is is it would probably be really amazing. And you would probably, I imagine that you would kind of learn a lot. And in many ways, like I i imagine some themes might emerge. So mm-hmm. go back and read all your old journals. Start at the beginning, the oldest one you have, and then read
1: f- forward. That is, I like that answer. <laughs> That's very different than... Um...
0: I should have said some, I should have like plugged, like I'm, you know, I should have plugged like a business book.
1: Do you, do you remember the first book you ever bought me?
0: I think it was probably something really fucked up, like How, how to Date or The Game. Some yeah, it, awful.
1: It, I think it was The Top 100 Pickup Lines. Oh,
0: God. That's so terrible. But in fairness to me, I think I was thinking about this on the car ride over. Were you 17 when I first met you? Yes. Okay. Yep. So when you were 17, you were super skinny <laughs> and like really awkward. You ate like four foods (laughs) and you were like ready to bloom and you were in a way shy, but not. So in defense of me, I think that book was great.
1: (laughs) It was that, that, that book was not the greatest book that I've ever read. But what was really cool about that was it did spark a curiosity for me in um, psychology and how like social dynamics and the way conversations could go, and I got really curious and read a lot about, um, yeah, social dynamics. And I found some yeah. other really great authors like Rob Young, and, and then I yeah stepped into some of Seth Godin's early work. Yeah, and like so, it, like it was definitely like the first domino, and I was like this isn't it. Right, no. But there is a there is a bigger <laughs> idea behind this right? about how I can show up in the world, how I can communicate. Because I think that I was always very in my head and I had a lot to say, but I never knew how to say it or how to listen. Right. And so that book definitely sparked, I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is a skill I can learn how oh to listen. God. And so that was... But
0: how do you read, how do you read about that type of stuff and not like then act it out, right? Like how do you, or like do you find yourself, because you could read that like the game or the Mm -hmm. art of seduction or those things and like you could digest that and then you could act that Mm -hmm. in every conversation, right? Like.
1: I think, and I did. I I used to, I created a game with a couple of my friends where we would go to the mall. And we had a point system where we tried to high-five strangers to get out of our comfort zone. And it's like, we got, what was it? One point for high-fiving a girl. We got three points if she was with her boyfriend. (laughs) We got like 10 points if we high five somebody who was like working at like an ice cream store or the coffee shop and like... And so we like created this point system where it was just getting out of our comfort zone to be able to interact with people. And so, I, yeah, I used to practice talking with people. And right. I think that's why I loved getting into bartending and, and just getting to have lots of conversations with lots of different people from all over the But how the world.
0: much of that is you acting, do you think?
1: I think a lot of it when I first started. Yeah. I think it was... I think yeah, that was that was me trying to force or forcibly learn, but I think that over the years, I was able to digest a lot of those those skills and and recognize that I was acting a certain way, and that I've been able to sort of relax into myself a little bit more. I think that I describe my early twenties and and that time as. Like a putting on a facade or mm-hmm. a show mm-hmm. in in real time, yeah. Which is funny because I'm not a very good actor.
2: Really, is that true?
1: <laughs> I don't know.
0: I don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I also I am a great actor. And Just when
1: there's not a camera on you,
0: right? Exactly. <laughs>
1: it's like I'm a g- incredible golfer on the range. Yes. Put right me in a tournament. Right. It all goes to shit.
0: Right. <laughs> Um, I, I think that that's one of the things about like when you grow up, when you're trained to be an empath as a child and then you grow up and then you learn that like you can be the best bartender because here's what people want at the bar, right? Like mm-hmm. you are reading the individual that comes in or the couple that comes in and you're like, I am financially incentivized to blow these people away and be exactly what they want me to be. hmm and you then are rewarded because they like you and they smile at you and they leave you a big tip and like whatever it is. And then it's like, how do you make sure that you're just not always doing that, that you're not always on?
2: Mm.
0: And I think that's like that is a challenge because you can just turn it on, right? Like you can just turn it on and you be like, I got to go to this party or I got to go to this event or like you know, when you have business interactions with people and you you know what they want from you. They You know how they want you to show up. Mm-hmm. So like, okay, you turn it on for that event or that work day or that thing or that whatever, but then like when do you turn it off and go out in the world or do you?
1: I mean, that that started for me when I started therapy about seven years ago. Mm-hmm. I think recognizing that I wasn't in alignment with myself, Interesting. but didn't really understand why or how it was. And then spending the last seven years and the next 70 unpacking that. Right. And, and I've definitely felt incremental changes. Sometimes there's, there's been bigger monumental breakthroughs or, or understanding of, of self. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was a very clear point in my life in, in early on in my therapy practice was was figuring that out that it was like, oh, yeah. this wasn't this was a part of me that yeah. was acting a certain way under certain circumstances. Right. And and then be, then asking questions like, well, who am I if if I'm not putting up that facade or this one or right. and and that's been really fun and scary and all of the all of the emotions in between and yeah so yeah
0: it's a wild thing because I'm so addicted or have been in the past like I've been so addicted to being liked or wanted or like seen as valuable and so letting letting myself not be on and running the risk of like, wow, like they might not wanna invite me back to this party or like I might not wanna be, they might not want me to be a member of this club or whatever the thing is. And then checking back in with myself and being like, I don't even know if I fucking wanna be a member of this club or this group. Like, why am I trying so hard to be wanted and invited? I don't even know if this is what I want. And then being burdened like, oh fuck, they invited me back. You know, there's that great saying, like, I don't want to be a member of any club that would have me, you know, like, and I think about like, I think the pandemic was an awesome pause for people probably like us who are quite extroverted in certain situations, like, because when I didn't have to do it, I didn't have to like rise to the social occasion. I was like, oh, my God, I don't miss any of this. I don't miss any Mm -hmm. of the work dinners and the networking events and the like gotta show up is like I thought I would be going crazy missing that friends would check in and be like oh my god how are you doing with the pandemic and I was like I love this (laughs) this is amazing I'm now a hermit I think I'm actually an introvert so
1: yeah (laughs) oh I think that that's that's sort of all the questions that I've got all right, so I've got Kylie? some questions for you. Yeah, do you have any questions? Let's do for rapid me. fire. Okay.
0: Okay. What do you hope to do with this podcast project?
1: I would really love um, to chat with more more people like you that are, that are, have different ideas and perspectives about all of these areas of life that that I'm curious about. Um, I I really want to get better at podcasting, I love learning new skills and um, how to create, host, and uh, produce and put out into the world a show. Yeah. Um, And I'm really, really enjoying it. So I, I, I love the learning curve and I really hope that maybe some of my guests or the conversations that we have, that some people listening have some of the similar questions that I do. I definitely want to have the questions that I ask come from a, a genuine place of my own curiosity. And if some of the answers or the conversations can help people in some way um, get curious on their their own about whatever something we talked about today, whether it's therapy, whether it's parenting styles, or it's um, setting boundaries in the workplace, that would be really really cool to to see. That awesome, yeah.
0: If you couldn't be a founder, entrepreneur, what would your job be? What would, what's it, what's it, if you couldn't do this for your job, for your life, what would you do?
1: Probably goes back to childhood dreams. I definitely wanted to be like an X Games competitor and do like street skateboarding and street BMX. Awesome. Um But something changed when I was about 15 or 16, like a (laughs) self-preservation switch went on because I like look back and there's photos of me like doing 20 foot jumps on a dirt bike over flames
2: Whoa! with
1: like feet off the pedals or like just because like the older kid dared me to do it. Right. And, And then something switched and I was like, oh, like. It really hurts when I hit the back of the down ramp or like I don't like my shins being split open constantly. Oh God. Um so then it would it would probably be I'd love to play golf for a living. i I just I loved being an athlete and yeah. I guess I still consider myself a, a recreational athlete and I dabble in a lot of things, but I would have loved to create a a life where I got to play sport Mm -hmm. as my my thing
0: yeah you are beloved by your nieces zoe and arden how do you what if you could decide how they would like interpret you or describe you like what would you what would be like your hope like how would how do you hope arden will describe you when she's like 20 and she's at college and she's like oh yeah like my uncle ash and her friends like tell me about him
1: that is a great question. Thank
0: you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that I'm I would hope that both of my nieces would describe me as, as reliable and there hmm. if and when they need me. Nice. Like I would like that I would show up no matter what and I'd I'd just be just be there for them, be present, um, be able to to witness and be compassionate for whatever they were going through. Yeah, um, and know that they they were they were loved, and that there was it was a safe space. Yeah,
0: that's a great answer. Yeah. Do you have any regrets? You don't have to say what they are, but do you have any?
1: I don't, I think about this a little bit and I feel super fortunate and in large part to to you and, and Mukunda that, that I've, since you guys have been in my life, I've been really aware of the season of life that I was in
2: Mm.
1: at the time. Mm. Like When I was 17 and 18, I knew the season of life that I was in thanks to you guys, like that that through conversations or guidance and advice or or whatever, I just feel really lucky that I was able to be aware of it as I was in it and then get to enjoy it to the fullest.
0: That's awesome.
1: And when I look at my, my early 20s or my entire 20s, I did all of the things I wanted to do.
0: That's awesome,
1: and I knew that I knew that it was a special time in my life. While I, and <laughs> so it was like it was a weird thing to live through because I was like, "I'm gonna go do this dumb thing," or like, yeah. "I'm gonna make stupid decisions," or yeah. are reckless, or like uh, financially irresponsible. And I was like, "But I can because yeah. I'm a super privileged white guy, yeah. and I I had the luxury to be able to to." make those mistakes or those missteps or learn in in crazy ways. So I don't really, I don't have any regrets on it.
0: That's awesome.
1: And I feel super fortunate and I've I've noticed that a lot of my conversations with um, either my younger brother who's early 20s and uh, even some of our staff over at the cafe, I'm just like, do the thing. Like, yeah, do the thing. Like whatever it is you're curious about, like, we're really fortunate where where we're where we're living, yeah. And like, I was like, you've got food, yeah. You've got shelter, like yeah. if it all goes to shit, like yeah. you're gonna be okay, yeah. And and to to not take that for granted, yeah. And um, yeah. So I, that's so some of my conversations have been going that way. I'm just encouraging to to do that. That's awesome. the way that you guys did for me.
0: Oh, thanks. I have one one last okay. question. These, yeah. What is your like greatest focus or like greatest priority like in in your day-to-day right now? Like what is the what is the the north star of your day-to-day right now?
1: Trying to find my north star is the main <laughs> thing I'm focusing okay. on. Um like we talked about earlier trying to trying to set personal boundaries around work and family Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and myself. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of what this podcast has been about in season one and and definitely in in this season two. Trying to figure out that that balance because I do want to have it all. Yeah. I am I'm aware that it's almost impossible to have it all at the same time. Yeah. And so what do I need to do to protect those areas of my life myself and finding little, little practices and little routines. And for me, it's always been some kind of physical workout. Yeah. And, um, the North star at the moment is, is making sure I, I check each of those boxes throughout the week Mm -hmm. in a way that feels good to me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that means I work a lot more than other weeks. Yeah. But it's because it felt good to me yeah. to push that project through. Yeah, and sometimes I don't work at all for a whole day or two, and and try not to condemn myself or or berate myself for not working and being like it's okay to sit. Yeah, and and for me, somebody who moves so fast and juggles so many things and switches between tasks. Yeah. Frequently and fast. Um, prioritizing more time for, for single-tasking. Yes. For sitting.
0: I like that single-tasking. Yeah.
1: And really trying to dive into doing something with intention and being present. Yeah. Um, that's what I've been been focusing on. Nice. Yeah. Because I fi- I find the more that I can be – I've I've tried to find like how do I be happy? Like I mm. want to I want to be happy. Like and and when and you when you look at the definition of happy, you can't be happy. No, you can't you can't. can't. And and so the things you can control are uh, am I present and am right. I grateful? Right. And the more often I do those two things, for me, yeah. The result is I'm happy.
0: Yes.
1: And I have complete control of how present I am yeah. and how grateful I am. yeah. And so in turn, I, I actually can control how happy I am. And it's just very difficult to do. Yeah, So the is. more little routines that I can put in place to do those things, the more triggers I can set around my life um, to remind me. yeah. Um, so setting up little, little practices like that. I love that. Yeah.
0: Multitasking is a myth.
1: I I did read that yeah
0: thanks Ash thanks for having me
1: thanks for being here
0: (laughs) this is so fun
1: yeah Um, if anybody got anything out of today and enjoyed the conversation are you open to people connecting with you somehow
0: yeah totally if anyone listens to this
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think (laughs) I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't underestimate I mean, the, the power of
0: I don't mean because podcasting. this is not a very successful and popular podcast. I just don't know that anyone's interested in particular in this particular episode. But yes.
1: Um where's the best place for LinkedIn. people? LinkedIn.
0: LinkedIn. I'm Kylie Feldman on LinkedIn. Awesome. That's the best. I'm off all other social media.
1: That's fantastic. Didn't I mean you, I'm on TikTok as a lurker. I don't are you, create are you use a five four three eight six one, two, three. Yeah, yeah something
0: yeah. <laughs> something like that. Yeah, I like, don't even know. <laughs>
1: That's amazing. I don't yeah.
0: even know. But yeah, TikTok. It's my new YouTube university.
1: It's fantastic. Yeah, I'm going to be a doctor by morning. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Kylie. Thank I- you for
0: having me. This was amazing. Thanks to the amazing setup here in the studio.
1: I know. I can't wait to see how this came out. And I can't either. As always, if you're listening to this, <laughs> I push the right button. And uh we didn't we didn't fuck it up too bad. So amazing.
0: Hey, thanks Matt for cobbling together something usable.
1: <laughs> hey everyone, Ash here again. Just wanted to say a special thank you and offer you twenty percent off everything over at drinkquiver.com. So if you're interested in any of our coffee and teas or apparel, use code podcast at checkout for twenty percent off as a little thank you for listening.